Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello, and welcome to Living Stones. I'm your co-host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and joining me in the virtual studios in South Bend, Indiana, on the campus of my alma mater, the University of Notre Dame, is the man who's going to change the expression to say, how the Hellenius are you? The one and only Ken Hellenius. <laughs> Ken, oh, how are you doing, my friend? I am very well, thank you. It's a, it's a good week. Summer is not only well upon us, but uh, I, you know, we've done our major kind of projects for the summer, and so now we're we're in kind of strategic planning mode, things like that. So yeah, it's it's good. It's good. The weather is actually quite lovely, and uh, I don't have anywhere to travel to, so things are good. All right, fantastic. Yeah, I'm gonna have to get back to back to campus one of these days. You know. Uh, Especially, I want to make a connection with uh, Dr. Abigail Favali. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, just like I said, I'm a, I have an intellectual crush on her. So <laughs> <laughs> I had to just go back and just and uh, meet her and have a conversation with her. So next time, in, I mean, somewhere in that area, I'm going to make an effort to to swing by campus. Of course, to see you as well, my friend. Oh well, well, thank you. <laughs> well, and I'm going. I'll tell you, we uh, we are working to get uh, Dr. Favali as a guest here on Living Stones, uh, and so um, yeah, we'll we'll make that happen, whether it be in person or or uh, you know over the old uh, recording airwaves. We will make it happen soon. But uh, I'm not going to lie to you. It's an embarrassment of spiritual riches, and you know, both spiritual, professional, and just. Um, intellectual riches here to to work at Notre Dame. It's been glorious. I was listening actually a couple months ago, I was listening to this audio book on salvation. It was called Salvation, What Every Catholic Should Know. And it kind of explored the different kind of approaches to salvation. You know, oh, have you been saved? And once saved, always saved. And all these sorts of things that we hear about kind of in the ether of our of our lives as, as uh, Christians here in America, you know. And this was a really fantastic book. And the guy's going through and he's talking about the idea of Christ paid our debt or something like that. And the author then quotes this fellow. He says, as theologian and biblical scholar Gary Anderson says, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Gary Anderson is not only a professor here at Notre Dame, but like he led the faculty Bible study that I took part in last year on the book of Tobit. And he talked all about the idea of good works actually building up treasury in heaven. So everything that this book on salvation was writing about, I heard from the very mouth of Gary Anderson around a lunchroom table as we were reading the book of Tobit together. And I'm like, how often is that, that you're reading a book and you're like, I know that guy who's getting quoted as an expert, you know? So it's really fun. <laughs> That's great. That's yeah, great. Yeah. yeah. Well, we talked about the joining the mind and the heart, right? Right. So I think, in fact, that's, I think that's what the uh, D. Nicholas Center does very well, is that beautiful combination of mind and heart that I think makes the work of the center so effective around the world. Well, you know, you, I think I mentioned last week we had our Vita Institute, our summer intellectual formation program for pro-life leaders from around the world. And uh, one of the things that we do with them is not just in the classroom kind of straight instruction, but then each day, midday, we had 
mass together, you know, that was available. Because not everybody's Catholic who comes and attends this. Of course, we, you know, in building a, a culture of life and a pro-life kind of uh, approach, that's a wide tent. So it's not all just Catholics, uh, but everybody was invited to come and pray together. And then we went from there to the dining hall together. And we would sit and have great conversations because, you know, as you know, sometimes the best conversations don't take place in a classroom, but they take place when you're breaking bread together. And they take place when you're when you're having leisure, you're having the time to unpack what you've heard and to kind of noodle around on it. Uh, and that's something, you know, even for our student fellows that we have, our Soren Fellows program here at the DeNicola Center, it's not just about making sure that they have the best classes, but also it's opportunity to interact with families at in the context of a supper club kind of thing and it's the opportunity to go on pilgrimage together all of these sorts of things that make us who we are that make us people of faith people who have an appreciation for the many gifts that god has endowed us with as you say the gift of faith and the gift of reason john paul ii the great john paul the great would be proud to to know that uh, fides et ratio faith and reason are being held up together and they support one another and that that's yeah what we try to do here at the nicola center at you know catholic universities the great catholic universities around the world that's what they are are supposed to be doing is forming people to be both people of great intellectual strength but people of great faith as well that's right you have to know how to think Right, you have to give reasons for our faith, right? For yep. reasons for what we believe in. That's what the Catholic institutions are supposed to do so very well. So that's right. That's awesome. Well, Deacon, we have been chatting about some of the great fathers and doctors of the early church, and uh, we're in the midst of a, a tr- very famous trio. Uh, and uh, we're we're coming up on the third. Some would say I'm not saying he's the third wheel, but I'm saying the third of the great uh, group known as the Cappadocian Fathers. And so you're going to introduce us tonight to the third and final one. Yes, and this is Gregory Nanzianzus. And you know, I was thinking about this too, Ken. This idea of last names, right? Because all these guys is this person of this place, like Gregory of Nanziasen, you know, or or a title, Basil the Great, right? Where where do these last names come from? Because people also associate it from where they're from. Are you know Jonathan? Oh, yes, Jonathan of Portland or <laughs> Jonathan of New York. You know, I mean, you, right. you, it, 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 the, where they're from was, oh, yeah, that guy. But now we have last. Do you know how that developed, by the way? I'm just curious because I was thinking about that and thinking about particularly these three. And their title or their defined their last name is kind of defined by where they're from. Is that kind of the maybe the roots or the genesis of how last names develop? Well, you know, a lot I, of, actually, I'm not sure. I don't know. Yeah. So um, I can't say that I've dived completely deeply into this, except that I do know that, of course, a lot of uh, the what we think of as family names like that are related to the um, the trade that a person was involved in. So, mm. you know, you think of Karen Carpenter. Believe it or not, Karen Carpenter was a singer, not a carpenter. But I'm going to bet that somewhere in her family line earlier on, there was a family of tradesmen that were carpenters, that were woodworkers. Uh, Or Cooper, you know, somebody who made barrels for a living. Uh, Or Tanner, people who, you know, uh, dealt with uh, leather and things like that. So a lot of them had to do with... Or even the last name Smith. Or they're probably a blacksmith or something like that. Yeah, Yeah. okay. Yeah. Oh, it's, oh, so, interesting. That's very interesting. So you clearly right. are a uh, you know somewhere in your family were some sivers, 
at some point. Now, I, I guess those are people who filtered things, you know, in a sieve. Well, actually, it's it's a it's a shortened name from a German name. So it's like a slavery thing. Oh, OK. You know, so, uh, yeah, because uh, Barbados was a British colony during the time of slavery. And, sure. and from what I understand from uh, from some members of my extended family, it's like a German name that's been shortened to Sivir. So there, and if you look at my family, if you look at my, for example, my uncles, they're all very light skinned, huh? except for my dad. He's like the darkest one out of, <laughs> I mean, you could say, Oh yeah, there's my dad right there. Like all the rest are like very light skinned black. So, so there's definitely some race mixing sure. in there sure. uh, with regard to my last name as well. In fact, there's a guy who used to, uh, had a great um, hamburger food truck in Portland and his last name was Sivers. I'm like, hey, wait a minute, are we related? Because <laughs> probably your people owe my people or something like that. <laughs> you know, we were joke, we were joking about it though. Yeah. But um, wow, yeah. So just a little side note there. But I just there was just in thinking about these guys and their names and stuff, and I uh, just wondering about that. But yeah, so he was a very good friend of Saint Basil the Great. They were very close friends, and he was, of course, a distinguished theologian and. He was also renowned for his poetry. Oh, a lot of people don't know that. Later in his life, after he resigned from his from being a bishop, and he went where his heart was really calling him. Even his early life was to monastic life. And he didn't become a monk, but he lived a very solitary monastic type existence. That's where he wrote a lot of his poetry. So he was born into a very noble family, in about three thirty A.D., and his mother consecrated him to God at birth. Now, he didn't become a Christian right away, but his mother consecrated him to God at birth. Now, this is interesting because we also see this in the Bible, right? It's called the Nazarite vow, right? So we see this with, for example, Samson. Sure. You know, uh, when Samson was conceived, there was a Nazarite vow. Samuel, when his when his mother couldn't conceive for so many years and, and she was actually made fun of, you know, because she couldn't have kids. Right. Um, and then finally, when she did, she gave that beautiful song of Hannah in First Samuel chapter two, um, which is uh, the model you know, for the Magnificat in the Gospel of Luke. There, yes, they have many echoes of one another. Yes, exactly. I wrote a yeah. paper on that in graduate school, actually. Oh, wow. the song of Hannah, the Magnificat. Yeah, and so yeah, so there's a vow there, and even in my own life, you know, my mom had a number of miscarriages, and when she was finally pregnant with me, they the doctors put her on complete bed rest. And my mother would tell me this much later, of course, but she said when I joined the monasteries, when she told me that when I was pregnant with you, I said that I made a promise to God. I said, if you let this one live, you can have him. Wow. And that was, and it says that was her, that was her vow, you know? So, so yeah. So mother consecrated him to God at birth. Um, and obviously God honored that because look, <laughs> look at the, the amazing things that he did in his life, you know, and he was educated at home. He was homeschooled. Right. Huh? So how about that? One of the great intellectual giants of the church was a homeschool kid. Oh, that's right. Fun. So, and I, so I we forgot, think today, you know, I forgot to mention that actually last week as well, uh, as we were discussing Gregory of Nyssa, he also was homeschooled by his older brother, Basil, and his older brother, uh, uh, Macrina. So this is a this was a popular move. And obviously, as you say, it paid off. So way to go, homeschooling yeah. families. <laughs> That's right. And so what would they have learned? Like what many homeschooling families are learning today, the classics, philosophy, 
you know, uh, like, so they're not just doing math. They're looking at the philosophy behind mathematics, mm -hmm. you know, and things like that. So, yeah, so that's great there. And then after his homeschooling time, he went off to further studies. He went off to uh, Caesarea in Cappadocia, where that's and that's where he met Basil um, when, when they were in school together um, and became very fast friends. Uh, and, and and when he remembered his friendship, um, uh, his, his growing friendship with Basil, he'd say, you know, um, not only did I feel full of veneration for my great Basil because of the seriousness of his morals and the maturity and wisdom of his speeches, but he induced others who did not yet know him to be like him. And this was our competition, not who was first, but who allowed the other to be first. It seemed that if we had one soul in two bodies, that what, see, and, and what's so beautiful about that, Ken, and, and so beautiful about the, their friendship is that friendships, particularly between people of the same sex, are twisted and distorted and perverted always into something sexual. You know, so for example, if you look at the way people are, uh, again, in, in certain aspects of the church are thinking about Cyril and Methodius, for example. Or they're thinking about David and Jonathan, mm -hmm. you know, in, in the scriptures. And, and and Jonathan uses beautiful language to describe his friendship with, with the, I loved him more than I loved myself. And, and so you look at language like that in today's culture, we want to, we want to sexualize it and turning it into something that it's not. And the same thing here. I mean, these guys loved each other with a divine intimacy. They had a tremendous respect for the gifts that each of them were given by God and tried to outdo each other, not and see who was the smartest, not and see who could make the greatest contribution to the church, but who can, who can elevate the other one greater? Right. You no, know, who, who can make the other one shine brighter? You no, know, that's the beauty of friendship, you know, not, not elevating yourself, but making a gift of yourself to the other, you know, that, that's what covenant relationship is about. And that's the foundation of our intimacy with God is all about. It's actually quite beautiful. That's actually what Living Stones is all about, to be honest. Because like, I enjoy the heck out of our time together each week, and I leave edified and built up in both my faith and my joy for being Catholic. And and uh, so, I mean, what you're describing, uh, I'm, I'm sitting here grinning because I was like, boy, it's like spending time with Deacon Harold. <laughs> Thank you, Ken. Uh, so, and this idea, again, the gift of self, this idea of kenosis, you know, this the idea of breaking open and feeding. Their friendship was actually very Eucharistic in a real way. I think it was the the the, the body of Christ, the church, and literally the body, blood, soul, divinity of Christ in the Eucharist that helped to nurture and strengthen their friendship. So again, not just the intellectual, but the heart as well. So after his studies, Gregory came home, and, and that's when he was baptized, because now he saw, you know, the, the, the great gift of the church, his friendship with Basil, um, all the intellectual learning, and that really stirred something in his heart. So he came back home, he was baptized, and that's when he had his desire for monastic life. Because uh, he was want to spend time in spiritual uh, meditation and philosophical meditation. Again, God gave him tremendous gifts of the mind and the heart, and he wanted to take those gifts and, and kind of live this monastic existence. And in fact, he would write, nothing seems to me greater than this, to silence one's senses, to emerge from the flesh of the world, 
to withdraw into oneself, to converse with oneself and with God, to lead a life that transcends the visible. You know, and I, I thought that was beautiful, that when we're thinking about our life, we're thinking about the meaning of our life. We're thinking about the gifts that we've been given. We're thinking about our purpose and meaning for existing. You know, how God is using us in this world as unworthy as we may be, as sinful as we may be, how God wants to, to use us to glorify him. And how uh, Gregory's uh, Nazianzus thought was to take that and to, to, to live that interiorly. But God said, no. You know, yeah, yes, I, I've given you that desire, but no, I need you in the world. I need you to share those gifts with others. So he's basically taking his friendship that he had with Basil, and he's saying, I want you to expand that relationship to the entire church. So the same way that you elevated each other, I want you to elevate the church by your teaching, by your witness, by your example. And that's what happened. Very reluctantly <laughs> on his part, but he was but he was obedient, right? Obedire means to listen, right. right? He listened to God speaking in his heart. I think that's a, a lesson we can all learn from today as well. Yeah. It's not just about what I want, but it's about then continuing to listen to the call that we have received. I have lots of desires in my heart. I would love to be a monk, but guess what? I'm actually married. I have a responsibility here in the world. So I need to actually continue to be present and to fulfill the vow that I have already made, even though I may have this strong desire to run off and join a monastery. This is the idea, again, of continuing to listen to God's call in my life. And it's not just what I want. Uh, so often these days we hear about couples that are consciously uncoupling because they feel the call and then they go and get married to someone else. It's like, didn't you think about the vow that you've received, that you've made, the vow that you've made to one another uh, before God and to listen to and recognize God as part of this vow that's present to you right here and there? So I, I think as you're describing Gregory's listening to God and being like, but I want to do this. God's like, yes, that's a, that's a holy desire, perhaps, but I need you here. I need your great gifts for the church. Yeah, you know, I, I still have uh, several monasteries bookmarked in my uh, web browser. Yeah. You know, and I, and I do go I do go back and I look at uh, YouTube videos of, you know, the daily life of Benedictines. And I look at what's going on at other monasteries. Even my own monastery that I was in, I go back and look and see how the guys are doing. You know, my, my old roommate is now the abbot there at the Abbey, oh, man. <laughs> you know, and so sometimes I think, man, you know, I'd love to be back there, you know, <laughs> I mean, just be honest, you know, I'm not saying that I wish I wasn't married or anything. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure. saying that at all, no. but yet I still have a part of myself that strongly desires that life that misses the silence and the, and the intimacy and the regular routine of the flow of monastic life. You know, there's, there's still something very, very appealing to me about that life. But of course, I'm, and again, I'm not, I'm not living in a fantasy world, or anything like that, but, but I, I acknowledge that yeah. and recognize that, yes, even though that, that desire is in my heart, that God has called me to share these gifts, the gifts that he's given me, gifts that I didn't even know I had. In fact, gifts that were being developed while we worked together for, right. for uh, 11 years at the University of Portland, you know, all these things are being developed and God was preparing me for something. 
you know, during that time. And that's when our friendship developed. Exactly. You know, so it's kind of like a Basil and Gregory in a sense. You know? <laughs> See? On a much smaller scale. Yes, yes, exactly. On a exactly. much smaller scale. W- without course, the, but... without the, uh, the profound holiness and the gifts of mysticism and things like that. Okay, once you set all those aside, we're just <laughs> like them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's where this uh, Even Living Stones came out of, yeah. you know, out of our friendship and out of our camaraderie and out of our, our like-minded thinking, a love for the church and evangelization. And, and, and so in a small way, we're continuing the work of these of these and letting people know about these great men and women as well. Right. You know, right. I think it's a great way to continue to move their legacy and, and the life of the church forward. Amen. So to continue on, you know, he um, <laughs> he uh, was encouraged to become a priest again. He wasn't thrilled about that, mostly because he knew that, uh oh, if I become a priest, they're probably going to make me a bishop at some point here. <laughs> and so, which is what he did not want. Right. <laughs> um, but in 371, his friend Basil, who was by this time Bishop of, of Caesarea, as, as you explained, wanted to ordain him a bishop of a place called Sassima because it was strategically important to Cappadocia. But because of various issues going on at the time, it didn't happen. And Gregory stayed, uh, Gregory stayed on in, in Nanzianzus. But then several years later, in 379, Gregory was called to Constantinople. Again, a very important city. Remember, there are five main seas at this time. Uh, Antioch, Alexandria, Constantinople, Jerusalem, and Rome. And so Gregory was called to, to lead a small Catholic community that were faithful to the Council of Nicaea. Because remember, Arianism is still an issue at this right, time. Right. And, and many people, in fact, the majority of the people, still embraced Arianism, which was considered politically correct. Uh, and it, boy, we look at our culture today, you know, people are accepting things that aren't part of the church because they think it's politically correct. Right. You know, what goes around comes around. Right. And this is the time that he delivered his five famous theological orations talking about and defending the Trinitarian faith, going against Arianism and trying to explain the beauty of the faith. Again, this is uh, why those three guys are most famous for helping develop the idea of Trinitarian theology as we understand it today. And in fact, in the East, they call him, they nicknamed him the theologian. You wow. know, so in the East, no the pressure, is, buddy. Not Gregory of Nancy Anzis, it's Gregory <laughs> the theologian. Yeah. And so, oh, we know which Gregory that is, you know. So, for example, one of the things he did was talk about the Trinity, like with the examples that we say, like it's a light, like a candle. It's, it gives, a candle gives off light, it gives off heat, and it consumes oxygen. But it does all those three things without any confusion, change, separation, or division. It's it's all those three things at the same time, but there's no confusion in the nature of what, what a candle does in the light that it gives off, the heat and the, and the air that it consumes. So he, he made a, a very deep theology very accessible. you know. And as I mentioned very quickly at the end of his life, um, when he uh, gave his farewell address to a packed cathedral, he went back and started writing uh, poetry for about two years. He withdrew to solitude uh, near a place called Arianzo, uh, which is uh, near his birthplace. And he dedicated the rest of his life to the ascetical life and to poetry and to further study. So, and uh, in about 390, he was called home uh, to the Lord. So these three then, Basil, Gregor, and the two Gregories, um, really represent uh, important as as bishops 
they had spiritual responsibility, but we know them primarily these days as theologians, as people who wrote uh, specifically for uh, the purposes of understanding more deeply how God works in our world. It's funny, you were describing there about kind of Gregory's, his five discourses, did you say? Yes. So, so mm-hmm. what do we, um, can you... Or- orations, yeah. Orations. So can you tell us a little bit more about those? Uh, or were they homilies? What uh, what kind of, I guess, orations would seem to mean speeches, right? Yeah, there were, there were a combination of speeches, homilies, letters that were written, um, letters that he wrote as a bishop, kind of like a pastoral letters, but also personal letters okay that he wrote to individual people you know it's back in the day you write to a bishop now usually a secretary or somebody you, you know you actually hardly probably get a real letter from the bishop but back then the bishop actually wrote and responded to people directly and so these are collections of his thoughts and uh, his speeches homilies and those kinds of things were gathered together into five volumes so again oh, okay. it shows you the the depth of his work and the amount of work uh, the amount of thinking that he did again not to uh, witness to his greatness, but to witness to the greatness of God. That's glorious. Um, what would you say the main, you know, as you say, the Eastern, in the Eastern Church, they call him Gregory the theologian. Um, what is for us maybe the, the most important thing that we need to know about Gregory? Uh, that he tried to strive to find a wonderful balance in his life. You know, sometimes we struggle like right now, you know, work is taking over my life and you know, and my prayer life is suffering and, or, you know, we, we just had a new baby. So that's kind of taking priority of my life. So my prayer life is suffering, but to try in all things that, that, that beautiful thread of, uh, of prayer and the intellectual pursuit, you know, going deeper and knowing more about my faith, but, but not sacrificing my prayer life and seeing that as kind of a, a, a beautiful thread that's woven through the fabric of our entire life. Beautiful. Amen. Well, St. Gregory, the theologian, pray for us. Oh, man. Fantastic. Well, folks, we've come to the end of our evening again, as is our custom, but we do invite you to connect with us by going to Facebook and visiting Living Stones Media. And you can also download previous episodes of the show at materdeiradio.com. Deacon, until we gather next week and meet yet another one of these fantastic fathers and doctors of the church, might we have a blessing. Almighty God bless you and keep you the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com. What I just said made any sense. So, Aaron, I'm going to have you cut all of that portion out. And uh, so I'll jump back to that uh, um, kind of where I let off with I I've entirely lost my train of thought Deacon I apologize <laughs> <laughs>